The reading for this morning is taken from John, chapter 17, verses 20 and to the end. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will, who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. In you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I, may, my, I myself may be in them. This is the word, of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Wendy. Let's pray. Righteous Father, I pray that uh, you might take my feeble words and that uh, we might hear your voice just by the whispering of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, you may have noticed um, just how much prayer has been going on in this past week. Now, you may not have noticed if you're not a football fan. Okay? And if you're not a football fan, you might have to bear with me just a little bit in these next 15, 20 minutes. On Monday, it was what was dubbed the £200 million match. And um, Aston Villa saw off Derby County in the championship playoff. Should have been Bristol City in there, I know, but never mind. On Wednesday, the London Derby in Baku, of all places, wherever that is, saw Chelsea carry off the Europa League crown. And last night, the mighty Reds downed the Spurs to win their sixth Champions League crown. And all this amidst a barrage of prayer. I wasn't uh, quite prepared to uh, sift through all of the images that came out of last night during the early hours of the morning. So you've got a generic spectator praying image on the screen. But the anguished spectators were doing it as the tension rose. Hands together, eyes closed at points as well. And then the players were doing it. Players, some players were crossing themselves and looking to the heavens as they walked out onto the pitch. I happened to notice that when Liverpool scored their second goal last night, the Liverpool goalkeeper was down on his knees, arms raised, looking to the heavens. And maybe some of us in our living rooms, as we were heading every ball or kicking every shot, were no doubt doing it as well. Crying out for our team. I wonder how many people knew who they were praying to. And does God prefer claret and blue over white? Or does he pref pre prefer Liverpudlians to Londoners? 
Most people admit to praying at some time or other in their lives. In fact, in a recent uh, YouGov poll, many people um, who claim to be non-religious still confess to the fact that they had prayed at some point in the previous 30 days. Do we have a sense of who we're praying to and do we believe that our prayers will be answered? What sort of God are we praying to? Because as we pray our Father in heaven, we're not crying hopelessly and pitifully in superstitious desperation into the nothingness. We're engaging with the creator of the universe, the all-knowing, all-seeing Lord of heaven and earth. And our cry is not that our trivial sporting whims might be fulfilled, but that God's kingdom and his will might be established on earth as it is in heaven. So what might we justifiably pray for? Well, I guess anything which serves to establish his kingdom. Praying for a new Ferrari doesn't. Praying for his peace does. Crying out for my team to win doesn't. Asking that I'll play with the right attitude does. There's so much we can learn from the way Jesus prayed. There isn't scope to explore that uh, massively. This morning, we can certainly learn, though, from the way in which he prayed regularly, the way in which he prayed passionately in complete dependence on his heavenly Father and out of an intimate relationship with him. We can learn from the pattern of the Lord's Prayer with its blend of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We can learn from the way he prayed directly and boldly for individuals and for specific situations. Jesus' prayers seek first God's kingdom and the things that advance that kingdom on earth. In that little section of John 17, which um, follows on from the passage that uh, Sam preached so eloquently on last week, We see a move from Jesus praying for his followers then to those who would follow after his death. In other words, you and me. And the focus of his prayers is on unity. Unity with one another and unity with the Godhead. A successful football team is built on a unity of purpose and a shared commitment to a common goal. That's been massively evident in the successful teams this year, in the Liverpools and Man Cities of this world. Sometimes you get teams with lots of star quality, but they seem to underachieve. There are too many big egos and people just playing for their own reputation. Not enough working for the team. But a team flourishes when people are working in the same direction to the same aim, often under strong leadership, everyone working for the boss. There are obvious parallels in the church, in the Christian faith. That unity of purpose, that common goal to see God's kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven. Under the leadership, not of a charismatic football manager, but of the saviour of the world. And so Jesus prays for a unity amongst believers so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Those are his words. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
Our prayers are not that Christ Church or any one church looks good and wins applaudits. All we do at Christ Church is no, not so that we get a five-star Google rating or so that our youth and children's ministry or our worship band or whatever is the envy of other churches. All that we do, both corporately and individually, is so that the world may believe in the sent one and all that he represents. Jesus expands a little two verses later. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. And so as we pray for our friends and loved ones to come to know Jesus, how we long for those people not just to acknowledge Jesus, but to discover how much they're loved. And our unity with one another and with Christ points people to the one who loves. Uh, quite a few years ago, there was uh, a poster, you know those old, old school poster display boards outside churches? It was displayed outside one of the Northern Premier League grounds. I have a recollection it was outside Anfield, but I can't quite remember. And it said this, only God can make man united. <laughs> only God can make man united. I love that. It reminds us that our unity isn't a thing we can manufacture, we're all different, aren't we? We see things in different ways. But God can draw us together from diverse backgrounds, different cultures, different worldviews, all our little idiosyncrasies, and unite us in a common cause. Only God can make man united. We're all children of the same Heavenly Father. I do hope you'll participate in uh, See in the Park in a few weeks' time. Christ Church has the privilege of leading worship on that morning. Bishop Viv will be speaking. We've got a United Open Air Service and Family Fun Day. And Christians from across the community will gather together to worship. The theme will be unity. And our united witness sends a powerful message to the communities that we serve. And then as we participate in the Thy Kingdom Come initiative in the week ahead, it's significant that we do so with millions of others from diverse denominations, Protestant and Catholic, Anglican and Baptist, rich and poor, united in a desire to see God's kingdom come on earth. And all of us are invited to join in. As I speak about prayer, I feel woefully inadequate because I don't feel that my life of prayer ever lives up to what I would love it to be. And actually there are many here who I um, very much respect in terms of what they illustrate and demonstrate in their life of prayer. But it's no good me beating myself up over that. God doesn't love me any the less. My security is in him. But I can learn from others. Um, I wonder if you recognise these two characters coming on the screen. Um, they're both called Dixie Dean. Um, some of you may have heard of the Dixie Dean on the left. Dixie Dean was a successful centre-forward with Everton Football Club, a prolific goal scorer for them and for England. In fact, he scored 349 goals in 399 games for Everton which, if you don't know anything about football, is good. Okay? Pretty impressive. 
So if you Google Dixie Dean, you're likely to come up with all sorts of photos and all sorts of Wikipedia um, entries about that particular Dixie Dean. Now, the other Dixie Dean, the guy on the right, you won't find if you Google him. He lives in an obscure little village called Deal, down on the Kent coast. Dixie Dean is um, 98, going on 99 years old. He's still reasonably fit and mobile, and every day he goes out of his little cottage in the centre of Deal, and he goes for a walk along the seafront. And as he walks along the seafront, he will meet people, and he will chat with them, and often he will share something of Jesus with them. And as he does so, he will remember their names, and he will write their names in a little book that he carries. And then he will commit to praying for them. And he's been doing that for years and years and years. He first told me about his little black book back in 1984 when he was leading on one of the Hazelmere youth camps. And he has been faithfully praying for individuals day in, day out, through the years. Now, I can't quite live up to that. I would like to be able to, but I can't. Or at least I don't. But it struck me that with this Thy Kingdom Come initiative, we've got a chance to just replicate in a small way what Dixie Dean has been doing for the last however many years. As we identify the names of five, just five individuals who we want to be praying for, five people who we long to see coming to know the love of Jesus for themselves. And we'll pray for them and pray that God might give us opportunities to share something of God's love with them. Just a small example of what Dixie's been doing all these years. What a privilege it is to be invited to partner in God's work in prayer. Just as Jesus prayed to his Father, so can we. So as an encouragement, let's get involved. Let's pray for lives to be changed in accordance with God's will. Let's see what God can do. Join us next week. Come on the prayer walk next Saturday. Join the House of Prayer on Thursday. Pop into the labyrinth on Tuesday. Early morning prayer on Wednesday. Join that global wave of prayer. Because the world can't be changed by human effort alone. It's only through a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit and his transformation of human hearts. And in the mystery of God's purposes, prayer plays a part in all of that. Football, which has had far too much attention this morning, is a man-made religion whose effect is for this life only. Christianity flows from the Father's heart of love and is of eternal consequence. Are we crying out to a lucky charm sort of God who we hope might just somehow give us what we want, or to the king of the universe who loves to give good things to his children. Let's look beyond our petty obsessions and let's seek the Father's will on earth as it is in heaven as we pray, thy kingdom come. And if, like me, you do sometimes struggle with prayer, sometimes it's helpful to have a really good resource to help us. So Graham's going to tell us about a book that he's been reading and that I've started to read in the last week or so. Thanks, Graham. Uh, good morning. I hope you can hear me. Um, I'm here to suggest, recommend a new book by Pete Gregg. It's called How to Pray. And who is Pete Gregg? Pete Gregg 
many will have heard of. He's been involved for 20, 25 years with the 24-7 uh, prayer movement, and he's been a leader with that across the world with many others. So why did he write this book? It says it's a simple guide for ordinary people like you and me that pay bills, that live in the real world, that have relationships, make mistakes. Uh, why did he write it? He wrote it for two reasons, he says, because as he talked with other leaders, he thought that prayer was about the most important activity they did, and they and us are pretty poor at it. So he wrote a book called How to Pray. Nicky Gumbel. Now, how many have heard of Nicky Gumbel? Just a few. Um, and he's involved with Alpha. Nicky Gumbel says, and he recommends this book, he says this is the book he's been waiting for and it does meet his expectations because he, he wanted a modern book about how to pray. Now, what's in this book? Well, he, he uses the Lord's Prayer as a theme, to, uh, as, a, as a thread through to draw out various important three themes. And he also uses an acronym called PRAY. And he uses that to stand for firstly, pause. And he says, basically, that's a lifesaver. If we don't pause, we're, we're gonna be finished. Secondly, he talks about rejoice, which really is about seeing ourselves as God sees us, which is pretty small. And in other words, that we come to a point of peace and of true realization. Thirdly, he talks a lot about ask. Why do we need to ask? Well, he talks about that too. And finally, why for yield, if I can get that letter out. And we're dependent upon God. So he talks, he uses that pray throughout the book. He doesn't duck difficult issues. Uh, Pete Gregg's wife, Sammy, has had uh, major health issues for the last 25, 30 years with epilepsy, and he addresses that in a chapter. Uh, why doesn't God always answer prayer? Why doesn't God immediately answer our prayers? He talks about spiritual warfare. This book does what it says on the cover, how to pray, but in another sense, I would say it goes beyond that. I think it, he, he would talk about the wild God, and would want us to experience not just the God of steadfast love, but this wild God he talks about. So there is a deeper challenge, I would say, in Pete Gregg's book. We've got a few copies. Um, Paul has got some, so I'm hoping we would, uh, you would beat a path to him. We can certainly get more, and I would encourage you to read this book. Um, it is also a, a, a portal, a gateway into other resources. They have a website called Pet Prayer Course, the prayer course that they're wanting to encourage you to use, which has got lots of practical things you can uh, uh, download. For myself, um, as Paul said, it's difficult to talk about prayer when we're still learning. But I, I think this book does help, um, and it's helped me think about how to pray for others. And instead of using the same, the same ideas, the same words, to ask God, how should I pray for that person with some imagination, and, and practically. So I would encourage that to you. I also wanted to say something from Pete Gregg because I think this is important. He says, I'm not into prayer, but I'm into Jesus. Uh, so I talk to him a lot. I'm not into the power of prayer, but I am in uh, to the power of God. I believe in the power of God. So I ask for his help a lot. And that's what this book is about. It's really about God. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks, Graham.
If you went online, it would cost you £13.99, but for you this morning, just £10. See Graham or I afterwards, we've got several copies.